five, six, seven, eight. Real Rap's a podcast not many people listen to. Oh. But when they do, you know the truth it comes through. Mm. Jokes and insightfulness sometimes are simpatico. Okay. Other times, I have no idea what to do. All right. Yeah. Something like that. Um, Brett and Craig are our, are our, um, who are the Italian, uh, kind of like, uh, the class of old Italians that like, uh, paid were patrons of, uh, oh, oh, fuck. Uh, the Medici. (laughs) Is it the Medici? Yeah. Craig and Brett are like the Medici family. (laughs) When they hear the podcast, they know what to do. Laugh. I think I stole the tune. Because it's real rap podcast. It's a real rap podcast. Because it's real rap. Didn't you used to do that? Um, no, apparently, I, I, I don't think I was there. I remember you and John both talking about one time that you were going, he's Quint, 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 to the Andy Griffith theme song. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, it's a good one. And it's a tough one to turn into another parody. It's nice. A lot of notes. Right. Mm. Real rap. Coming round the corner, it's real rap. rap. Hey, hey. It can't always be, uh, it's not always clean. Sometimes the jokes are coming out the gutter. Sometimes they're coming from heaven above. Real rap. We're round and round the corner. It's an hour long podcast. I love to make songs and it's a thing that i've loved to do since i was like six years old uh-huh, and it's something uh-huh. that's never ceased to be funny is putting like poop and penis and like butt nope, crack and like never <laughs> not funny into the lyrics of songs just like uh-huh. shitting out of my dick and i've been pooping my pants and like stuff like that like, it's, never, it's never not <laughs> funny out of my pants and i've been doing just fine gotta gotta poop my pants because i want it all <laughs> it's never not funny i i, I don't know i know I, I I'm I'm turning 26 very soon, and I'm hoping maybe maybe this will it's only to be gotten funny. funnier. <laughs> but it's, it's really only gotten, only gotten funnier. It was right. very funny when I was nine. It was uh-huh. very funny when I was 19. Maybe funnier than when I was nine. <laughs> when I'm 29. Is it going to be that much funnier? Who knows? You know. Every time I sit down to start recording the podcast, when right before I call you. And you, you've heard me say this in the beginning. I've Pavloved myself to sing Money by Pink Floyd, but replace it with Bennett. It's a crime. <laughs> Thank you. It's, it's a nice change of pace, though, from people who, who hear my name. They go, Bennett and the Jets. Oh. Honestly, I, I, I would rather have my fucking I, intestines pulled out through my nose and ever hear someone do that again. Good boy. Oi, oi, oi. Molto bene. What, what's the opposite uh, of molto bene? I think we've asked this on the um, podcast before. What is it? Molto crappy? Molto crappy. <laughs> I guess Not molto crappy. is very. Very, very crappy. Half an hour, half an hour. Give me a half hour like the last half hour. <laughs> when the fucking that's, guy is That's my favorite scene them. in the movie is when they, when they first meet each other. <laughs> He's got the note from him, and it's Beatty waving across the bar like, hey, hey. 
<laughs> software. I'm looking for software. I gotta have software for my machine. Do they have the wardrobe of my love uh, song on here? Let's see. Yeah. <laughs> she said, come look. There's a wardrobe of love in my eyes. Take your time. Look around. And see if and there's see something, if there's something your size. Your size. <laughs> when he brings it around with that last line, I'm like, wow, there really is a <laughs> They just did a good job of Hoffman being like, God damn, when you're on, you're on. <laughs> when you are on, you're on. And, he's and then hot fudge woo! love. And then they, they it bookmarks it not to get too far ahead of myself, not to get too far ahead of myself or ourselves. They bookmark this perfectly at the end when they're in the desert dying of dehydration and they're singing uh, songs with each other and he goes, God damn, I wish we had a pen. We're on. <laughs> no, and, then, and then they try to sing the same song like 10 minutes later and they get all the lyrics wrong. They're like, see, we don't need a pencil. <laughs> Uh, oh my god there's a there's just lyrics for the echo song i have no idea when this comes in but it's hello hello baby baby love you love you baby baby (laughs) (laughs) oh my god this movie is so fucking funny this movie is really good (laughs) my lips are on fire with my desire he's like saying he's like oh my lips are on fire and you think he's just saying like because they're in the desert dying of dehydration and then he just goes with my desire for yeah. you they can't turn it off these are two people i've often said i've often said that we're both born performers we can't uh-huh. turn it off. no no i wish we I, I i always say i wish i'd been of age when this movie came out so i could have seen this oh in theater so i could have like been a part of the discourse around this movie i've never wished that so much because i think ishtar was written about you and i <laughs> 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 i feel so i feel right at home watching this because you know that when elaine may wrote these songs it was just so stupid, but the funniest fucking thing. Could you? I mean, I can't imagine what she's like when she's coming up with jokes because it is so fucking stupid. But it must be the funniest thing on the planet for her to say. like when he's on the. It first kind of hits when he's about to kill himself and he wants to jump off a ledge because his girlfriend breaks up with him and he's like crying. He's like, "I'm finally on the ledge, <laughs> singing to himself, uh-huh. on the edge of my life." Like r- free rapping this song when he's like at the just the end of the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's honestly if I can draw a really horrifying comparison that maybe you'll hate. A movie I hated mm. the first time that I saw it because I associated it with the worst of like movie bros is Step Brothers, and it's a movie that's only grown mm. on me every time I've seen it because I think it's yeah. capturing a similar level of just debauched, horrifying male companionship here. Uh-huh. I think I think this moment on the ledge is like right out of that movie, the guy like repelling down the side. I think there's no that without Ishtar and what it does with uh. the relationship here. The scene uh, on the ledge uh, on the side of his building is incredible. His parents are in his oh apartment shouting, God. like, their rabbi is there. Wait, what's his He's name? Like, oh, the name? rabbi. <laughs> like, this guy that he just so does not want to see. And the rabbi's like, hey, what's up? Rabbi Pierce! You remember Rabbi Pierce? <laughs> and he's just like, are you fucking kidding me? Oh, and they have this incredible moment. And I, I, love, I love the line that Beatty says to him. He's like, 
It takes a lot of nerve to have nothing at your age. <laughs> Most folks would be ashamed. <laughs> you just say to hell with it all. You say, I'd rather have nothing than settle for less. <laughs> they are truly just idiot best friends. But they like they have so much love for each other. They they say like I think that the I think dangerous business is actually a fucking hit. I think that what opening on that song is just so good because you don't know yet if they're like if this is a joke or what, and all you hear is <laughs> "Telling the truth can be dangerous business." And I'm immediately coming off like, of oh. uh, Mikey and Nikki, and I'm like, "Yeah, like it is. Know, <laughs> it is that, that it is dangerous." So, ah, uh, true words, brother. <laughs> yeah, honest and popular don't go hand in hand. I'm like, it's not perfect, but it's definitely true. Like I feel that. If you admit that you can play the accordion. Okay. okay. No right. one will hire you in a rock and roll band. <laughs> there's a, uh, there's a, I forget who said it. I was, it's one of my, one of my podcast guys. Uh, it's, it's like when you um, listen to uh, like killing in the name of, like when you, uh, when you hear it, can't relate. The, like uh, you know, the just listening to it, it's like yeah, this is. Now listening to it as a result, this is fucking stupid. But sometimes you're like, yeah, some of those that work forces are the same that burn crosses. <laughs> okay, I know, I know, I know what you mean. Yeah, and I like that you get because <laughs> you didn't quite relate the fact that you get them like fucking up with the lyrics throughout the first like two minutes of the credit sequence. Right. It's really quite an amazing. Just him going like, telling the truth is. Uh, Dark tunnel. <laughs> Telling the truth is a bitter, truth. bitter herb. Bitter herb. <laughs> a loose <But> herb. <laughs> I mean, like, I think the reception of this movie just puts it down. I mean, Insane. I don't. Crazy. I didn't really read much about it, but I know this was panned. Panned like no movie ever before. I mean, this is this was known as like the worst movie ever made, and it was really? one of the bigger flops up to that point. Wow. Yeah. And. I think it's easy to see these guys and be like, oh, shitty, shitty musicians. But there is a part of them that's so honest. And they do say things that are like, yeah, that's, you know, telling the truth is a dangerous business. <laughs> this is a scorching take on a story that I think you should publish. <laughs> I, I, I believe it. I telling think that, the truth like, is dangerous. There's a purity in their, in their unabashedness. And like, they're... Everyone around them is just like you guys are fucking idiots, but they are so they believe so much in the in the Shea Casablanca, uh -huh. and it ends up you know it, ends it is up it is it is pretty fucking slapping. beautiful. <laughs> and I think you should I read love... what Richard Brody has to say about the movie because he talks about it as being one of the great movies about artists. Period. Wow, um, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> just period. <laughs> he calls this movie a capital M masterpiece. Oh. Reception around this movie is so <laughs> insane. It's so outsized and bananas. Apparently, everybody was really just looking to take down every single person involved with this movie a few pegs. Huh. Like, this was the ultimate, like, calculated smear campaign. Like, Trump talks about calculated protests. <laughs> Trump talks about paid protesters and crisis actors. Apparently, this was really that. Thankfully, their scope was just Hollywood, and all it did was tank a film and a few careers and not, you know, it, I don't think it cost any lives. <laughs> Telling the truth can, can be, be dangerous. Bad news. <laughs> and then he briefly he goes, can be good news. <laughs> Why? 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 Because 
if yourself <laughs> you don't know if you don't know yourself then you you don't know why <laughs> these are the discarded lyrics for dangerous business oh. telling the truth can be a bad idea <laughs> it's there's a that there's whole enti- sequence of them songwriting together is so amazing from the flashback uh-huh. So good. This movie. I, <laughs> so I hesitate. Good. I hesitate to use capital M masterpiece the way Richard Brody does, just because I realize I've become. I really. We we've talked about this a little bit in like me making my list for like 2019 and me looking at like what I thought about movies I saw in 2019 and putting together this film diary. I've realized, oh yeah, I have bad taste. I've lowered my bar so much. I'm just willing mm-hmm. to fucking yas queen and clap emoji about <laughs> everything I see. <laughs> I've gotta. I've gotta cool it. I've gotta cool my jets. I've gotta. Uh-huh, slow uh-huh. my roll so to speak so <laughs> i'm gonna say this movie is a lowercase m masterpiece this movie is very very good i'll give it two varies yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think um uh and i appreciate your your candor i appreciate this. your candor this, i feel so much like these guys because the shit i'm saying is just generally not that funny but i'm so excited about it but we're like um, god Damn, we're killing <laughs> We are on! That last episode was fire! People are like, okay. Um, there's a there's a song, 13... Se- th- th- if you go to... I don't know what this fucking website... If you look up Ishtar lyrics... Okay, is there's a song called Carol. I don't remember when this is, but lyrics and mu- music by uh, Paul Williams. 13 seconds long. The lyrics are, They're going to change her name to Carol. This is this is before Hoffman is about to kill himself. Carol is his girlfriend, played by um, the actress's name. I think it's Carol Kane. She's in some Woody Allen <laughs> movies. Um, she's playing a character named Carol. He, I like how their girlfriends look exactly alike. Um, and it's hilarious the way they flipped. Yeah, it's Carol Kane. Uh, it's hilarious they flipped the the way the way she flipped the personas for the two of them. The way that uh, Beatty is just playing this like fucking like awkward dork and Hoffman is this, <laughs> this just this like horrifying like mystical Lothario who women just like fall over themselves for. He says to Isabella Johnny, and maybe I heard this wrong. He says, "My name is Hawk. It's short for Hawk." He said, "Oh, I'm the Hawk. Hawk for sure." Yeah. <laughs> and then and but also uh what's her name the who's the um ishtarian uh isabella johnny uh an italian is- actress who here is playing i some <laughs> middle eastern woman in a very classic hollywood sense in 1987 but you know I mean, um you she she take like she has this complete different perspective of the hawk which is like the hawk you're the prophecy it's like dangerous yes man. that's so magical and he's like yeah Fine, it's, finally, like, yeah. it's finally someone who sees himself the way he sees himself. Yeah, which I think is I this like all the characters and there's no one. I don't think that Elaine May is asking us to like, like ev- nobody in this movie is smarter than anyone else. They're all kind of like equally as pe- people look down on certain people, but uh, and 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 to the to outsiders, these guys are obviously idiots. But no one is like the kind of like uh Seinfeld character that's laughing at them at their expense and they're allowed to like they're never shamed for what they're doing really and they don't really experience shame and also like the most powerful people in the movie people like uh Warren Beatty are working for the US government and they're equally as like befuddled and dumb 
So what I would say is I would say um, <laughs> I, I would say Beatty and Hoffman are George and Kramer. They're your two more ridiculous characters, and they do become <laughs> briefly objects of ridicule who are maybe in sort of a precarious position, mm. who are maybe mm. in danger. Whereas Charles Grodin and Isabella Johnny are they're Jerry and Elaine. They are no, they're no better. They're equally uh-huh. ridiculous characters. <laughs> they're caught uh-huh. up in an equally ridiculous scam. But thankfully, they've not quite wandered into the muck so much. They're they're looking at it from a somewhat more privileged perspective. Because mm. mm-hmm. I, I I mean I guess they are the two characters throughout the show that are always sort of uh, gainfully employed. I, I meant to say Charles Grodin works for the government, and he yeah, and see, even I, he is perfect. Like, perfect in this role and i i do, do you know what i meant do, do you get what i mean when i compared it to burn after reading uh particularly his sort of yeah perspective on Be- the whole thing he's very much like jk simmons character and like that other guy when they're just like well guy god knows what we learned and also i find like for the coen brothers you know for what they're worth i think uh burn after reading was more of a fun time and it wasn't reaching to be i don't know the sort of fargo level of <clears throat> auteur type thing even though it is out like out there ishtar doesn't do the like totally rewrite the book on filmmaking like mikey and nikki and elaine may seems like she's having a blast doing it and but it but it is like a a very personal type of comedy it's unlike any other movie it's a huge it's budget a for blast. what we've seen her work on. It, it's 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 awesome. It, it's great. It's maybe not... Her first three movies are three of the best movies ever made. I think I would put them in the top 150. Here's my hot take uh-huh. for the episode. Um, uh-huh. Is Ishtar as good as those three? <laughs> no. Ishtar is very good. Um, uh-huh. I've given it four stars in the heart on Letterboxd, and uh, oh, real real heads will know what that means. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so elaine may and paul williams wrote all the music for this yeah warren Beatty and very fun dustin hoffman are supposed to be playing these like crappy songwriters um Mm -hmm. hoffman is a i guess a reasonably successful piano player he's a guy he's like a he's like the character from the song piano man he plays in this like greek (laughs) restaurant and Beatty is this guy who came up from texas after the factory he worked in clothes and is now an ice cream man who's who's moonlighting as a songwriter (laughs) much to his living girlfriend's chagrin and they uh. they meet each other and what is I think such a beautiful scene when he has the note in his tip jar from Beatty and Beatty waves to him across the restaurant. It's so <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> yeah, they're instant. He's like, "Oh my god, you're such an amazing songwriter." It's just love like it. two charmed idiots that like love each other so much that their girlfriends are like, "You guys are fucking annoying." Like, uh, you guys deserve each other, you fucking idiots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And they're like borderline making out with each other because they're so obsessed with each other. Uh, Warren, they have this weird relationship where Warren Beatty thinks uh, Dustin Hoffman is like the coolest guy. He's like, yeah, anybody your height can get anyone. You can get anyone. I could never pull that jacket off. Like he'll just drop in lines that like, man, those pants look hot <laughs> on you. Or right, like we said, like they they I and I Elaine May does this beautifully. Like they flip the sort of like personas of the two of them, and they also really. <laughs> 
<laughs> they really amplify the height difference between the two of them. There's no way <laughs> Dustin Hoffman is that much shorter than Warren B. <laughs> yeah, they really like. They make it look like they're like five, the five, and six five. <laughs> And uh, so, like, Warren Beatty will be, like, talking up Dustin Hoffman the whole time. And then Dustin Hoffman will be mo- have moments where he's like, I'm, I've been making it all up. I'm nothing like you. I'm not as, I'm not the hawk. I just made it cool up. I'm not the cool guy. <laughs> like, but then other times he's, like, strutting down the street like he's the coolest guy on the planet. Oh, man. But we they- can sing our hearts out. And if we're lucky, then no neighbors complain. Nobody knows where the beginning part starts out. But being human, we can we live, can with live the through pain. the pain. <laughs> I really think they only thought of like half those lyrics. And Paul Williams is like, "Oh, you want me to write the rest of the song? Uh, oh, the fuck. whole Because <laughs> then, have you seen the rest of the lyrics? They go. Uh, the rest of the song goes. Wait, give me one second. Let me flip through my notebook here. Um, um, sorry, sorry. Excuse me. The rest of the song goes, because life is the way we audition for God. (laughs) Let us pray that we all get the job. (laughs) Which it's like, that's like too risky to say that it doesn't rhyme. It's, you know, you can only get these dumb, dumb singers to say it. I think that's, talking about uh, auditioning for God. Come on, maybe maybe it's a job interview for some of us. Maybe it's sort of fun. <laughs> maybe, it's, maybe it's maybe it's a walk me through your resume. <laughs> maybe it's a what would your what would your last three managers say about you? I mean, she is able to like the these guys are so un well so unaware of how bad they are, and it's also you you got to think about what Paul Simon and like Simon and Gar- Garfunkel like the shit that hit the trash can like you gotta really throw everything at the wall and these guys were just not afraid to put everything out on the table so you were saying that like this movie must have just seemed like how do you make sense of this movie uh i was texting you earlier like i think part of that is dustin hoffman's look in this movie is singular to say the least. <laughs> it's, I, it tie. looks as if it must be a reference to something, right? This uh-huh. like he's wearing a bandana, he's right. got like a leather tie, a leather blazer, white often. big pants. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's always wearing like red, black, and white. It's this crazy <laughs> look. Piano tie, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the, white the, bucks the, yeah he i i remember seeing the beginning a while ago and i was like oh it's like making fun of simon and garfunkel i was like oh it must be like about she must be making some reference to another singer songwriter group but i think it's just like dustin hoffman's character is like he he's just it, trying to just be singular it seems like a reference to nothing the <laughs> nothing. movie itself is supposed to be a reference to like the uh, Bob Hope and Bing Crosby movies of like the oh, you know, like 40s shit. and 50s yeah. and 60s. Okay. And I don't think they ever dressed like that. And then she wanted to call it On the Road to Ishtar. And Warren mm. Beatty said like, but people are going to think of the, the Bob Hope movies. And she was like, yeah, that's the point. But apparently they shut it down. And she said in an interview. Uh-huh. It's, uh, it's, it's very telling that Elaine May's fucking jokes. Like pe- people on set have to be like, is that? <laughs> Don't get them. I, no, is that, that's not. Is that a joke? No, wait. Um... Yeah, it's a joke. You're, never mind. 
She uh, is really <clears throat> willing to just fucking dish the jokes out no matter what. If they're going to land or not. Does not... This movie is a joke-a-minute endeavor, much like her last <laughs> film. Oh, a joke-a-minute, I guess, is an understatement. It's 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 jokes on top of jokes on top of jokes, and not oh in the, the Zucker-Abram-Zucker sense. I mean, I think way more of them hit than in a movie like Airplane or like Hot Shots, where it's literally jokes, wallpaper, and on top of jokes. That's true. And also, she really knows how to make a joke out of a crowd of people and uh-huh. use like a mass mm-hmm. of people as one and huge fucking punchline. You line. wouldn't think from her previous work that she would be able to direct on like scale like that. She's exactly, never done anything yeah. like that. Yeah, and she perfectly stages comedy action scenes through these huge crowds uh-huh. the shit boy parkour that we get oh multiple <laughs> before she invented parkour <laughs> much like ron <laughs> howard invented every saying like like ha- he and shakespeare share the uh the uh-huh. angel share of uh of and elaine may sayings. invented parkour <laughs> So she sets it up with like these two ridiculous guys in New York and you could very much I think new, a new life shares this quality where she sets this situation up and you think it's going to for me I, th- I thought it was going to just be like okay and we'll follow him around New York and then she just takes these two people that we know puts them on a plane to fucking like war torn Morocco and then uh-huh. makes them exist in that situation for the rest of the well, movie. Right, we get like 5 minutes with them. We get like one performance <laughs> and then we get this 10 minute long scene of like how they first met. This crazy flashback as they're both sitting in a bar wondering if they should take this job in Morocco. <laughs> Amazing. Like all when of the characterization the we've bar. talked about the scene up on the the scene up on the roof, all of their uh-huh. like performances, all of their uh, like songwriting and aborted songs. Like that all is through this flashback of the two of them pretending not to know each other. Morocco, uh-huh. And then they're tossed in it is it is Cohen esque, honestly. I think it does seem to predict sort of Fargo esque um, plot lines, just mm. sort of um, people kind of bumbling their way into this sort of thing. Because I don't know, were you able to make sense of the uh, the political and social intrigue at the at the center of the plot here? I uh, I feel I like mean, my understanding like of it the... is sort of foggy, and I feel like that's kind of the point. Yeah, I, I think like... it's just like just unrest. There's like a difficult relationship and the u.s has to reason with like the the emir i couldn't tell if any of the words they were using were actually real uh words basically so i guess there's a there's a fictional country ishtar who's got Mm -hmm. an emir who the cia has helped put in a place who is very controversial uh leftist uh sort of uh, a leftist group led by isabella johnny and her brother are trying to overthrow the emir Mm-hmm. The CIA does not want this to happen because Morocco and Gaddafi, who you'll remember Dustin Hoffman thinks might be the name of a country, are uh, about to start some sort of <laughs> treaty that overthrowing the Emir would uh, the Emir would upset. Um, I think uh-huh. this movie is very prescient for, and I, I, I'm, I'm certainly not the first person to say this. It's very prescient in terms of its uh, discussion of people bumbling through the Middle East, Americans mm. specifically yeah. bumbling oh, through man, the Middle timely. East, <laughs> just completely. Uh, uh, bulldozing their way through it. Um, yeah, Charles Grodin is perfect as this disaffected CIA agent who just has to sort of like <laughs> smile and wave his way through it. Uh, he meets like Dustin Hoffman in the hotel and uh, recruits him to his cause. Um, what do you think about the shot of them eating with their hands when it like smashes <laughs> them? <eat> their... <laughs> it's very they... funny, but it's also like kind of a 
like a like uh, like Steven like a Temple of Doom sort of a <laughs> sort of a thing. There's a lot of uh, jokes at the expense of like the American idea of what Morocco is like, um, but you know, I, just you just gotta let them roll off your back. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I I don't know. Maybe yeah, maybe Elaine May is smart enough that it's like it's like a joke on top of a joke. It's like she's making fun of like uh the she's making fun of like the the fucking like monkey brain sort of like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom sort of idea of like eating with your hands. Yeah, um, but I think that like it's a it it was also a time where you could just make you could just make fun of different cultures, and you know she wasn't saying like. She she was making fun of the U.S. involvement in this, and <laughs> I'm only saying this because of anticipating the idea that this is like a racist movie. But I don't know, different times. It's it, it honestly manages to be mostly not very racist at all. I think. I mean, I'm I'm not the person to make that judgment, obviously. But well, yeah. The only time the only times where it comes into like sharp relief is when he's literally going like la 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 uh-huh. like saying the yes. but it's him saying it like because he's an idiot but it's making fun just... yeah it, there there there's a level of deniability there that I think kind of works yeah it's it's his bad performance of like now when I think about that again I think like yeah Dustin Hoffman that is probably what Dustin Hoffman would have done if he <laughs> exactly <laughs> um, um, but anyway but maybe yeah. it's even funnier that them eating the uh, another a strange Elaine May joke that never gets like. <laughs> Do you see just like one shot? It never gets explained. It's just them like shoveling like homage to bully into their mouth. Yeah, and then he asks Charles Grodin asks Dustin Hoffman's character to sign an autograph for his son just because he's like a performer, <laughs> and Dustin Hoffman with his hands covered in like couscous is like, yeah, yeah, for sure, I'll sign an autograph. <laughs> tell him the truth can Dustin be. Hoffman. <laughs> yeah, Dustin Hoffman doesn't want to tell him like, oh, like I'm not that big of a oh i'm just some schmo and we're making 75 dollars a week to be (laughs) (laughs) i like how when they're on the brink of starvation and uh and dehydration in the desert they're like oh i forgot the show at the shake we're never gonna work in in morocco again That made me. That made me do a, almost do a spit take. Honestly, if I had not been dehydrated myself, <laughs> I would have done a spit take. Oh my god! I forgot the show. And he goes, Jesus! Oh, shit. <laughs> Meanwhile, vultures have been pecking at both of them. <laughs> He's got like blue dye from his like carcinogenic headscarf all over his face. And and. I wonder, if, was that a reference to something when he's like, no, the dye is carcinogenic and the dye is all over his face? I have no idea. <laughs> is that a reference to something? I couldn't, was the U.S. like involved in the Middle East at this time? They must have been. So I, 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 read the, uh, I read a transcript of this film comment conversation she and Mike Nichols did after a screening of Ishtar. And she said this was around the time of the Iran-Contra affair. And she said, honestly, her inspiration was thinking about the fact that Ronald Reagan was the president mm. at the time an actor she was like honestly his idea of the middle east is probably built around these bing crosby and bob hope movies where they mm. go through morocco so that was why she wanted to do a movie that was simultaneously about uh, a riff on those movies and also um huh. kind of about america getting involved okay. in the middle east but weirdly prescient it only becomes more relevant <laughs> <laughs> the dumber politicians get and the more belligerent they get in the region um so uh, 
Mary Shizgal, who's a playwright and uh, and uh, Dustin Hoffman's mentor, I guess, felt that uh, the plot in Morocco overwhelmed the rest of the film and that it should not leave New York. But Hoffman was finally persuaded by Warren Beatty's assurances that he would provide May with the room she needed to work. So even the people on set are wait, like... Wait, wait, wait. Hoffman thought the movie was just going to be in New York the whole time. Why do you think it was called I, Ishtar? I, I, I feel like he probably is definitely a lot like his character then at this point. He like thinks his career is like really going to like I don't know take off. I don't know what where he was at in his career at this point. Uh, they were both like kind of okay. on top of the world. Um, I mean, in '82, Beatty had just won the Oscar for directing. Um, Hoffman had just gotten the nomination for uh, Tootsie. I think at this point, he'd... no, Rain Man is like a year later. I mean, they were both. I think honestly, I think it's more an example of uh, people wanting to take them down a peg in the reviews. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's more part of why this movie got so pilloried. I mean, I don't know the way May describes the making of it. It doesn't sound like it was like chaos right. on the set. She seems. It seems like she was like described, surprised to learn that this was being described as such a mm. fucking chaotic. It seems endeavor. like Warren Beatty also had was a a big push for this, and was like basically like give her anything she wants. That's my position. yeah yeah. I, apparently yeah. Apparently he was part of like her getting the job again at all after. Um, I mean not to give him too much credit, but uh, apparently he did like push for her to get the job because I think after Mikey and Nikki was such a debacle, I don't mm. know if people were, you know. It is surprising that she would then get a huge budget to make a movie yeah. like his um, Paul Willie it says, obviously we would give someone a big budget right, after right. Mikey and we Nikki. We can only but... hope one day some angel investor is going to give us forty million dollars to be like. <laughs> Sport pepper, sport pepper, home run kid. Adam Lewis, sport pepper, hot dog dick. Um, Says Paul Williams began working on the songs that the lead duo would sing. Quote, the real task was to write songs that were believably bad. It was one of the best jobs I've ever had in my life. I've never had more fun on a picture, but I've never worked harder. (laughs) May prefer that Williams write whole songs, even if she intended to only use a few lines and then teach them to the stars and have them perform them, necessitating more time and money. (laughs) These whole songs (laughs) exist! And I was trying to go on Spotify to find, like, this Mm, song so I could, like, transcribe the lyrics, trying to get, like, telling the truth can be dangerous business. I was trying to get the whole fucking... I was trying to get all the lyrics, and you can't find it. I don't think the soundtrack for this has ever been commercially released. Mm. Now, if this movie had been a hit, it probably would have happened. And I think they were probably anticipating this movie would be a hit. I think she and Paul Williams were probably both expecting. (laughs) Yeah, we we made more money on the back end with these full songs he wrote. Fuck! I know it didn't happen, but the movie is getting reappraised. Paul Williams and Elaine May are thankfully both still with us. Let's give them another chance. Let's get this album. She said, come look. There's a wardrobe of love in my eyes. Take your time, look around, and see if there's something your size. Man, when you're on, you're on. <laughs> I want to kiss every inch of you, get in a clinch with you, break off an inch of you. <laughs> that sounds horrifying. <laughs> 
<laughs> Mecca, Mecca. I look to Mecca and I see the place where we live in the old funny tree that we sat under when you first said to me, ooh, wee, that, 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 that would probably have to be excised from a really early. <laughs> Telling the truth Can't is a dead. bitter herb. <laughs> lose herb. I never heard a hit with the word herb. <laughs> Telling the, the truth is a, is a why arduous tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> Telling the truth is a dangerous business. Honest and popular, I'm going in hand. If you, if admit, you admit that you can play, you the, play accordion, the accordion. No, no one will hire you in a rock and roll band. <laughs> How about when uh, they, so they meet their agent who is, uh, they find like an agent in like a phone book and cut to fucking, what's his name? Uh, Marty Freed, Jack Weston <laughs> playing Marty Freed, who that, that this is like the fucking best character. Uh-huh. He is fucking awesome. I, I, uh, he's pouring a plastic flask of whiskey into a coffee mug and he's like you said what you're gonna play at the uh okay and you'll be there tonight okay i'll come see you play and he's got like just a shitty fucking desk shit everywhere he's like a seedy agent wearing like a leather jacket and a scarf a character type that will never get old for me i love that shit no no (laughs) i can't really point to exactly to elaine may's like style but it is so personal and it's so idiosyncratic the way she like arranges all these people to come together. Like to, to conceive of these two guys going to Morocco and getting wrapped up in the shit. It's like, you really have to stretch to come up with this shit. It's not like, ah, oh, so these two guys are in New York and they're trying to make it. And then they bust. Like she just does a lot of work to like make this just extremely, uh, idiosyncratic. Can I give you my theory on her her yeah. her um, facility with an ear for and, and um, just ability to create these bizarre characters? Yeah. So think about the people we know that are involved in improvisational comedy now. <laughs> think about what the people that must have think about what the people involved in the founding of improvisational comedy in the late fifties and early sixties months must have been like, you know, I, um, uh-huh. I think she, I, I, I think she's got like a, an empathy for just sort of these oddball characters and a good ear mm. and eye for what they're actually genuinely like. Like, I, I honestly think what gave her the idea for, for, for these two characters in Ishtar is her, genuine experience with people who thought they were going to succeed as comedians who couldn't make it. Mm. Like, I think she really, I think she's been around oddballs and I think she's got such like an empathy for what they're, I I think she empathizes with them. And then I think she's got just such an idea of what it is they're actually like, which is why she comes up with such wonderful characters in all of these movies. Why she was as in tune to fringe musicians as she was fringe gangsters, you know? Mm, mm. Good idea. And she gets all this money and doesn't make like a fucking huge war movie that is like the Mikey and Nikki version. She makes a movie about fucking morons and like, like she's not trying to show off that like, oh, and I can. This I can was do shot big though too. by the guy who shot Apocalypse Now. This is shot by Vittorio Ferraro. <laughs> <laughs> 
Like this was at the oh time. My this movie God. was pilloried because of how much it cost. And apparently Charles Grodin at the time really defended it. Was like people love to get on this movie for costing thirty five million dollars. If it costs fifteen million dollars, what do you think they were gonna do with the other twenty million dollars? <laughs> Oh my god. She really is just completely unafraid of seemingly everyone being like, it's not gonna work. It's not gonna fucking work. What are you trying to do here? It doesn't make any sense. She's just like, no, I'm gonna do it and I'm gonna be as annoying as fucking Stanley Kubrick shooting like 20 million feet of film. But Stanley Kubrick is uh, lauded as some fucking genius, even though he's a medium to okay filmmaker. All right, well, R.I.P. Sue Lyon and uh, his his adaptation of Lolita is incredible. Uh, it's on Netflix, folks. It. Check it out. But yeah, okay. no, you're right. And I think it's, I mean, I think it's like the ultimate comparison as, as far as like we tolerate this in men. And uh, Elaine May went to movie jail for uh, the rest of her life so far because of Ishtar. <laughs> 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 it's, it's it's 2020 now she has not directed a movie since because of ishtar oh so sad i'm sure not for lack of trying or i'm sure not for, i mean certainly not for lack of ability <laughs> and she made out like a fucking king off this movie i think she made like 12 million dollars i hope that she's just coasting on that money because who gives a shit don't do anything after this but also um Remarking on her improvisational background, the idea that she's going to write a story that gets so ahead of itself that, like, her mind is wired, she's wired her brain to think that way, of, like, take this to its most absurd and unspeakable kind of ends that don't don't follow any trajectory that we've come to expect with like, oh, this is a New York movie. Like within the first five minutes, he's about to commit suicide. Then we just leave New York, <laughs> just completely leave this uh -huh. city that would, that is like, you know, cash money for anybody mm -hmm. making a fucking movie. And it's, it's, yeah, it's a movie that predicts a world in which we're apropos of nothing, assassinating um, Iranian generals <laughs> <laughs> in Iraqi air force, because it ends with, the, these two shit, just fucking shitheads walking around with a blind camel getting shot at by two CAA uh -huh. guys in a helicopter while an Ishtari uh, freedom fighter is defending <laughs> them with like an RPG. And Charles Grodin is uh -huh. on the phone trying to explain to three different people three different versions of what three different versions of what's he what he's watching. Um, we haven't given Charles Grodin uh, much uh, much right, uh, yeah. time in this episode. He's incredible. As uh, a CIA mm -hmm. agent staying in the same hotel as Dustin Hoffman early on. Perfect role for him. Uh, a flustered guy trying yeah. to pretend like everything's okay. Um, he, I feel like he is, he reminds me a lot of what Christopher Guest is kind of all about. And that he'll totally sell you this, this like serious guy shtick. But like ev it's from the outside looks so ridiculous what he's doing. He's like a fucking be a CIA agent that has none of his shit together, <laughs> getting like his foot stomped by camels running around in the desert. Oh man. That whole bit in the marketplace when everybody is a spy, everybody is like somebody for some different country and they're oh all avoid, trying to avoid seeing <laughs> each other. So it's such perfectly choreographed comedy in like a huge crowd on a huge scale on a much bigger budget uh -huh. than we never, we've ever seen may work on. I mean, whew. 
every single person in this like marketplace is like a spy from a different country. It's like, oh, those guys are from the KGB. <laughs> oh, those guys are from Turkey. All right, just uh, act normal. Spies. Don't put your hands up. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, what about those guys in Hawaiian shirts? Oh, those are tourists. <laughs> and then they're actually like spies from a different country trying to kill these people. And like, and how about when Warren Beatty leaves the hotel and he turns around real quick and there's like three cars and they all slam on the brakes and, <laughs> and it's like the guys they're all following him. It's like a group of people all following him in different. Disguises. They all like they all like throw up their uh, their like newspapers. Yeah, he's like, huh? Oh, and then Hoffman's following into, him. Yeah, uh, Dustin Hoffman. He's following him. He's like, oh, it's just you know, you ever walk around? He's like, I was wondering who lives here. <laughs> we're just looking at these buildings and go, who's who's in there? Who lives in there? Ah, uh, just such such perfectly calibrated comedy. Just a, a bunch of idiots, just like not figuring each other out because they're all so equally dumb. Like it's ooh, mm-hmm. and two great performances from the two of them because like it's hard to be a bad musician it's hard to be dumb too convincingly it's hard to be someone who's like mm. dumb and thinks you're smart and is not some sort of like parody i i think they both right. do a really good job i think Beatty especially honestly um against type as just this sort of yeah. like downtrodden like southern like oh shucks you know uh, women don't look at me you know me yeah um and dustin hoffman will kind of like he like g- goes into the throes of emotion but like Warren Beatty doesn't have to do that. He's always just kind of like, man, man, come on. There's okay. there's one exchange. There's one exchange from Beatty that really got me. It's when Hoffman is like passed out in the desert, and these <laughs> uh, vultures start like picking at him. And Hoffman is trying to like get him to like wake up so he'll stop, but he doesn't uh-huh. want to like yell and like alert the vultures to like his presence. So he's trying to like crawl, <laughs> and vultures start like pecking at him, and he's like, no, come on, I'm clearly alive. <laughs> he says something like, come on, I'm crawling here, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> And then Dustin often wakes up. Oh, we're in an oasis. <laughs> Look at all these birds. It's like five vultures. Oh, when they're when they're writing songs out in the desert. I mean, that's that's Julian English listening to jazz, going like, ah, God damn, I could have been jazz. <laughs> I love jazz. <laughs> Perfect. Ugh. Warren Beatty is uh, he's a. I want I want to see more of his stuff, and I want to see more of uh, of Jack Weston and whatever he's in. Um, the agent character. So there's so much in this that, you know, I wish we could touch on, but I really want to talk about the end where everything just kind of gets wrapped up in the most perfect way. And uh, basically our two main characters become superstars of Morocco (laughs) in this, like, in order to, like, restore peace with Iran, (laughs) Charles Grodin has to, like, so, produce an album <laughs> this is just beautiful Warren uh, Warren Beatty and Dustin Hoffman end up getting like a ton of leverage over the US and they get their agent Jack Weston to call Charles Grodin is like okay we want you to make peace talks with the Emir of Ishtar and uh, eliminate him from power in Iran and we want you to produce a full album for Rodgers and Clark. And you gotta you gotta promote it Shea. at your expense. Yeah, you gotta promote it worldwide at the Shea uh, Casablanca. And it's like, it's so... I, it's such I a funny... It's like among the funniest five minutes of any movie I've ever seen. Because it opens with 
Groden on the phone, like explaining to people, it's so much like the end of um, uh, Burn After Reading when, like, when, when, like, J.K. Simmons and the other guy are trying to explain what's happened, and they're just like, uh-huh. uh, I don't know what we learned. It's Groden just going like, yeah. So uh, she says if we don't produce their album, she's gonna give the map <laughs> to, 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 to Gaddafi. <laughs> so, so, like they, they've got some sort of map. Yeah, they, basically peace in the Middle East and also like the CIA's fucking whole whole system not collapsing depends upon them <laughs> producing, producing and releasing and promoting an album by Rogers and Clark. Uh huh. And and shitty alcoholic agent marty freed is the one leveraging this deal just because he so happens to be the agent of the two guys that have like bumbled them their way into uh into uh like the the fulcrum of peace and unrest in ishtar and so uh they have to <laughs> the final scene is them in shay casablanca doing their album and it's filled to the gills with like army soldiers that have been like enlisted to go there. And there's guys going around in the crowd, like <laughs> officers applaud. of the army, being like clap, clap, <laughs> clap, like clapping really loud. Everybody clapping, but like they're not really like super turned off to it. Like some people are like just giving like this glare <laughs> to the stage when they're singing shit like. Uh, Fuck, what is the Venus song? And um, in Morocco, I found the spirit of Ishtar. <laughs> I, it's like a spoken word song with no music. I feel oh, uh, so how far is Venus? When I look at Mars. the stars. How big is Venus? How big is Mars? How big is heaven? How big am I? <laughs> uh and charles groden is like trying to like impress i guess this general and he's just kind of giving this like cock cockeyed smile well he keeps saying they keep cutting back to groden and he says something like yeah they wrote the music and the lyrics <laughs> and then there's <laughs> and then they do another song and he goes that's the single <laughs> <laughs> yeah charles groden ends up having to like sell this to his like superior Oh like, God! Trust me, <laughs> these guys are good. He's trying to well, cause yeah, he's still trying to cover his ass. He's trying to pretend like he had nothing to do with like any of this. That he's just some like innocent bystander in this whole horrifying thing that's going on. <laughs> like um, yeah, has to has to act like these guys have their shit together and like yeah, this is really impressive. And meanwhile, the CIA has been trying to kill them for like the last half an hour of the movie, which is so funny. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they like get a bunch of arms and are shooting like RPGs at a uh, at a helicopter, and they're looking at each other like, "What do they say? They're saying uh, they're talking. They, they have that poverty song. Oh, uh, but that ain't poverty. <laughs> yeah, they don't got food, <laughs> but I don't got your love or something like that. I don't. Oh yeah, I don't think they have the lyrics of that one on here. Hot fudge love, cherry ripple kisses, <laughs> lip smacking back. How about Warren? How? What about the way Warren Beatty's house is decorated? It's like a kid's dollhouse. Fitting for a man who drives a, a tiny ice cream truck. Remember when you see him in the ice cream truck? He literally looks like that tall guy from The Simpsons in his little car. <laughs> he fucking drives it, and all these kids are chasing his uh, his ice cream truck down, and he, he because he's trying to think of a new song, and he's singing, he's just not stopping, but ringing the bell and like, singing to Jerry the tune. Love. <laughs> Fudge love, cherry ripple kisses. This, I feel like Elaine May doesn't 
follow any precedent of like comedy and she's willing to just try to do what's so absurd and like so like almost lamely like the most lame form of comedy like she's not like i feel like airplane is like hard ass slapstick like kind of like paying homage to like i don't know fucking the three stooges and shit Uh but she's just like going out on a limb (laughs) to tell these fucking boneyard jokes (laughs) this is yeah this is like nerdier than that i guess this is it's honestly (laughs) it is like she she really she's the patron saint of theater kids i really think so yeah that's true that's very true. Yeah, and and you and me you know we weren't actually theater kids but i don't i don't want to speak for you i'm a theater kid at heart i don't know about you (laughs) oh i mean i i did everything to become one my one and only regret in life is that i never tread Uh, those boards baby (laughs) yeah i mean i tread those boards but uh but in a in the wrong way oh i I never dipped my toes but i uh, but i I double dipped the chicago (laughs) dog in that oil (laughs) big mistake (laughs) get a timestamp. get a time stamp Un- I'm not cutting it. Talk We're about this telling the style. truth can be dangerous business. Being in high school <laughs> is very difficult. <laughs> you never know what is right and what's wrong. You've got your friend Bennett rooting for you in the corner. Even when you don't know the words to the song. Oh, no, boy. <laughs> you got one for us, Bennett? Do I have one to that tune? Oh, jeez. What do you want me to just improv one? <laughs> this could go really but embarrassing. We sing <laughs> and we can sing. And if we're lucky, <laughs> then the no neighbors complain. complain. Fu- the fact that he has a fucking leather tie around his head by like the end of the movie when like it's a life or death situation. His look is so fucking funny. <laughs> just the idea of a guy who's got a nickname for himself that has no clear oh origin story God. behind it. Right, right. He's like he keeps trying to tell like oh, uh, you know, mix-up gang type thing. It's like what the fuck are you talking about? And we can't sing. Oh, also when um when he's performing uh solo uh, without without Hoffman, um, oh after he's given a Johnny his passport and he's he's doing he's trying to do uh, bridge over troubled waters and everyone's just like, what about that some more? Let's hear that some that some more. <laughs> yeah, they're like, anybody want to hear some Simon and Garfunkel songs? Call him out. Yeah, that's a more. I wonder if I, I wonder maybe that that's got to be made. Is that me making fun of Nichols with the Simon the repeated Simon and Garfunkel references here? You think? What? Obviously, they were ubiquitous, to, you know. Period. Oh. But building mm-hmm. your building your soundtrack around the ultimate shit boy, Simon and Garfunkel, mm-hmm. having repeated, mm-hmm. I don't know, references to Simon and Garfunkel like that, <laughs> right around the time their greatest hits is a bestseller. Because there's that obviously in the beginning when he's looking at that wall, there's the Simon and Garfunkel greatest hits. It's also right around when that Bruce Springsteen live album was coming out. Which is a great mm-hmm. three disc live album. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. at the end when they zoom out and it's the Rogers and Clark and it's like on sale. Ultra low price. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Telling the truth can be yeah. Alright. Is that is that all is that is that all we can uh I think that's all I got. Yeah, sure. 
Telling the truth can be dangerous business. Telling the truth can be dangerous business. Honest and popular don't go hand in hand. If you admit that you can play the accordion, no one will hire you in a rock and roll band. But we can't.